0: to ask you to to pray that with me this week. Um, I had the opportunity to be with some people who are ministering to folks in Paradise directly this week just uh, uh, by virtue of being a pastor. They invited me to do something that helped, that might have helped. There were two people within this group ministering to people in Paradise who had lost everything. Their houses were completely gone. They didn't know what their future would hold, but... There they were, reaching out, being a blessing to the people who, like them, had felt this tremendous loss, and in a way that no one else in the room could, because they understood exactly what was going on and exactly how it felt. So I'm going to ask you to pray for the church to be the church among those who have felt great loss And don't have Jesus. I know it sounds kind of awkward. To be asking God to let them minister to someone else. There's healing in ministering to someone else. And there's a source that they have. That so many of the folks around them don't. So I'm going to ask you to join me for a word of prayer. Just on this line. But I'd also like to ask you to hold them up. Because they've, they've spread out throughout the community. Some of them have gone in great distances, but a lot of them are right there. And so I just want to ask that you hold up the church as they minister to other people who feel the same loss they feel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Kim's prayer this morning, the, the uplifting power of worship already this morning. For the realization that you stand on your throne this morning. That there is nothing that has changed about your authority today. And there's nothing that has changed about your love. And that no one on our planet suffers any loss without you collecting the tears. So today I want to ask that you would step into the lives of those who in the churches in that region might minister to those who don't know they can come to you. I ask for a powerful outpouring of your spirit. I ask for blessing and comfort And the kind of Holy Spirit presence that creates that comfort in the renewal of caring for and loving someone else. I pray for the church to be church. And I pray for this church to be church. In the best forms. Amen. Didn't expect that to happen so soon. We live in interesting times. And as I've shared with you before, that is an old. Chinese curse. May you live in interesting times. And we live in a time when we're seeing so much swirling around us and it's getting close. We know people from Santa Rosa and from Healdsburg and from Cloverdale who were touched by the fires there just months ago. We know people from Paradise and Concow and Chico and around Oroville who were touched by these fires. And it feels close to us. And the call of God is for us to be ministers. And the challenge of God is for us to represent Him in such times. People will stand up on ladders to scream out that Jesus is coming and this is proof. I'm 57 years old. There have been people on ladders my entire life saying this is proof, this is proof, this is proof, this is proof. This is proof. And if the nearness is our motivation for following Jesus, then... Maybe we ought to check our motivation. Isn't the grace and love and mercy of our God enough? So it may be soon. And it may be after everyone in this room passes on. But it does not make it less true that Jesus is coming. And so the challenge to be ready for the coming of Jesus is a challenge to be ready today. Every single day. And so this morning, I just ask you to remember not to let this be an opportunity to cry wolf, but to let this be an opportunity to point to Jesus. Because he's ultimately the answer, whether it's tomorrow, next year, or a hundred years from now. Because it's about who's coming, not when he's coming. When is exciting, but who is the answer? I want to talk to you today About walking away. Turning your back on one thing. To walk forward into something else. Every transition of your life and mine. Has meant we've walked away from something. When your life chooses a path. It refuses other paths. When you decide to go right, you can no longer go left. When you decide to turn away from ignorance, you can never go back to being ignorant again. When you open your eyes to an understanding and an image, you can never unlearn what you've learned. You can never unbe what you've become. And so I want to talk to you about walking away. I'd like to do so in And around the life of Moses this morning. And you talk about a life that saw lots of walking away. This is certainly one. Moses' story begins in Exodus chapter 2. And if you want to turn there in your Bible or on your device, we're going to pick a few verses out of there. But there's so much more in there. In Exodus chapter 2, the story picks up in verse 1, just telling the story of any other person. Everybody here had the same experience that he has in the beginning of the book. About this time, and a, man, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi. Take out the tribe of Levi and you have your family, your parents. Got married and the woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. she saw that he was a special baby now this is interesting to me because i don't know i don't know very many women who did not hold that child wet not very attractive <laughs> looking like a rat that just got a bath and looked down with amazement in their face, and recognize the specialness of the child. Now fathers, fellas, let's be honest, letting us in on this experience has its benefits. It also has some other things. First of all, we never knew how hard this was when we were out in the waiting room and then they let us see how hard it was and we 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 looked up to heaven and said dear Lord thank you that I was not born a woman <laughs> and you know it's the truth you know that is true and then when that baby came and they handed them to your wife and she looked down at this baby and she said oh Isn't he beautiful? You went, Yeah. I know what I'm supposed to answer here. And in your mind you thought, Man, I hope he grows out of that. (laughs) Or grows into that. I have seen a few babies born. I have seen one born beautiful. I won't say which one it was because that means the others are going to be offended. (laughs) But this mom looks at her baby and she recognizes that there's something different here. This is her third child. She's been through, oh, look, isn't this amazing, twice before. But there's something about this baby that's different. I don't know what it is. It's a stamp of the Holy Spirit. It's a tug on her own heart from God. It's a recognition that uh, that something here is not the same as with the others. But there's something unusual about this baby. This baby is born with a death sentence. At the time, all male children were to be killed. She chooses not to kill this child. Now, you might be asking, who chooses to let their baby be killed? Well, 1500 BC, it's a different look at a child than it is today. And when it came to being on the wrong side of the law or letting someone take your child, it wasn't as hard a decision as you might think but she chose to keep the baby. And she steps outside the legal parameters of the world and says, I will keep my child. Man, we lose a lot of babies for the sake of inconvenience in the modern world. Hey, it's a crazy world. It's a topic for another day. She holds on to the baby for three months. At about three months, the baby becomes too noisy to keep hidden. And so she devises plan B. It picks up in the rest of this section. When she could no longer hide him. Now, a little baby is not hard to hide. It's a little baby's voice that's hard to hide. When she could no longer hide him, think keep him quiet, keep the neighbors from hearing him, when she could no longer pretend that the baby hadn't been born, when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus, that's just some of the plants that grow along the, the, the edges of the Nile, and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. So she got this basket and she started smearing tar and pitch on the outside to try to make it so that it would float. She put the baby in the basket, laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. This is that story that you, you learned. If you're a church person, you learned this when you were a little kid, little Moses in the basket. You know, the, this picture of him in the, in the reeds there, his sister standing nearby watching over him. He's wrapped in a nice, cute little tidy blanket that was super clean, like it had been scrubbed and bleached. And there he was smiling and floating in the basket and out there in the Nile. There's never a crocodile in those pictures. There's never a snake in those pictures. Every time I see this, these pictures, I think, this is a dangerous place. I don't think she floated the baby out on the Nile without praying a covering over that basket. Most of us who are parents know that we have often gone to sleep just a little concerned, just a little worried. Praying a covering over that bassinet. Praying a covering over that crib. A child starts to breathe with difficulty and we start to worry. This lady lays her baby in a basket she has just tarred in crocodile-infested banks on the River Nile. Sends her daughter out there to keep watch. And I'm pretty sure she went home to pray. The story of this young man is an interesting one. There are two worlds here clashing. We see it in the next scene. Along comes Pharaoh's daughter. She's finding a place to bathe. Let me ask you a question. Do you suppose there was a regular place along the river for royalty to bathe? Or would it be harder to imagine them haphazardly just going anywhere they wanted to bathe? It's actually pretty likely that there was a regular spot for royalty to bathe. And Moses' mom placed him there. This is not as simplistic a plan as it might appear on first glance. Along she comes to bathe a retinue of people with her, attendants and servants and people to make sure there are no crocodiles where she's getting into the water. And she notices a baby in a basket. Moses' mom has placed her hopes on this moment. That no one can look in the water, see a tiny baby, and shrug. And walk away. She has one of her attendants wait in. Bring the basket to her. And at this point, Moses' big sister speaks up. Would you like me to find someone to care for the baby, to nurse the baby for you? And you, you can't go down to the store and buy formula. You you can't get Pampers at you know the the Seven Eleven. There was just not quite 7-Eleven yet. She says, sure. And the whole story is probably plain to her at that very moment. This girl knows this child and is going to take this child to someone who knows the child as well. And Moses' mom raises him knowing that she's going to release him and walk away. And so before she walks away, she prepares him for what will be next. She teaches him about her family. She teaches him about his history. She teaches him about who he is. And she tries to fill him with as much information about what it means to be a Hebrew as she can. And then one day she hands him over to Pharaoh's daughter. And she steps back. And knows now, her influence in his life is done. He's just a boy. And that boy then steps into a different world. And the two worlds continue to pound on each other. Through his training, through his growth, through the cultures that he's learning, through the things he's being taught. These two worlds keep colliding one after one collision after another after another after another. And Moses starts to understand or starts to experience this divided world. You and I live in a divided world. We live as people waiting for heaven, living in hell. The place where sin dominates and death reigns is a definition of hell. And we wait for a place where sin is gone and life is eternal. And we feel the collision of those worlds all the time. We feel it in tragedies. We feel it in moments of loss, but we feel it. Sometimes we feel it with excitement at a wedding or at the birth of a child. And as as an older person, you you see the birth of a child or the birth of of a family, and you think about the future and you think about the things that might come. And the worlds collide. You send your child off to kindergarten and you know that from now on teachers will have as much influence as you in their lives and you hope you've given them enough handles to hold on. Worlds collide. Our guy Moses is seen already as a special child. He's adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, which is pretty cool for him. Instead of dying, he gets adopted by the queen or the princess. He worries about his people. This connection stays strong in him. But the last thing and the thing I want you to recognize is that the man who grows up in Pharaoh's household is capable of murder. Do you think you're capable of murder? He is capable of it. And the story tells us not only is he capable of it, he does it. He is in this collision of two worlds picking a side. And he picks the side of the slaves, the Hebrews. And when he sees them being harmed, he demonstrates he is capable of murder. We don't often think of Moses' as the murderer but that's who he is if you remember the story if you're familiar with the biblical process or biblical stories um, he is found out and Pharaoh becomes angry with him and he flees to the wilderness of Midian on beyond the borders of Egypt on to Midian to be among the Midianites it's an interesting story it's an interesting return. Because it meant, if, you, if you're familiar with how Israel ends up in Egypt, it was Midianite traders who bought Joseph, who took him and sold him into Egypt. And that's what started this whole story. And now, years later, four centuries later, Moses is back with the Midianites. He's fled from Pharaoh's wrath and from his decision. He's walked away from his life among the the Egyptians. He's walked away from his identity with the Hebrews. He's walked away from everything that's back there. He's walked away from this decision to kill a man and he's gone into another world. There's a completely different world ahead of him and everything else has been left behind. He thinks. Moses goes off into Midian to go to school. He didn't pick the school. He didn't plan for school, but he's in school. He's about 40 years old, and he's starting the next chapter of school. And you think a doctoral program takes you a long time? This takes him another four decades of school. Somebody enrolled you in school and said, hey, uh, this is going to be great. Forty years from now, you're going to come out of this. Happy you did it. None of us would buy it, right? None of us would sign up for that. He didn't either. He was just walking away. But when he walked away from all of that, he walked into something else. It's an interesting question to ask yourself Why did God let this happen? Why didn't God stop him from murdering this guy? Why didn't God leave him there where he had a lot of influence in Pharaoh's house? Who knows? According to the, according to uh, the movie, Charlton Heston was going to become the new Pharaoh. If you don't know who that is, ask your parents or your grandparents. There was a lot of influence. He was positioned to do a great deal. At least he thought so. And probably, secretly, hopefully, his parents and others thought so. Man, we have we have somebody in a place of authority who could rescue us. This could be the new Joseph. This could be the guy who's in charge and rescues us. This would be so cool. I don't think God told him to kill that guy. I don't think God made him kill that guy. That doesn't seem to me to be the way God operates. But God was also not surprised when it happened. God knew from the beginning about that day. He knew that Moses would be walking away. And he was ready when Moses got to Midian. Some of us have had to walk away from stuff because of bad decisions. Some of us us have done stupid so well that we had to try to leave stupid behind. The problem with stupid is it doesn't stay behind very well. It kind of follows you around. Moses gets to this foreign land where he meets this, this new people, these Midianites. And the Bible says, and Moses was content to live with the man. This is the Midianite family. He actually ends up marrying the man's daughter. You know, some of you, the story. And this becomes Moses' new family. And he's content to be there. He's walked away from everything else and he's content to be in this new place. Content is an interesting statement. For a guy who would be king to be content in a Midianite village watching sheep for 40 years. If what is behind you is scary enough, You will take whatever future is in front of you. And what was behind him was very scary. A really bad choice. A picture of a man dying in his own hands that he can never forget. And the wrath of a king who, if he could find him, could have him killed at any moment. And so Moses probably grew out his beard, put on the clothes of a shepherd, and lived incognito in Midianite territory, and wandered around the back hills and valleys, following sheep, hoping no one ever found out who he really was. I wonder if Zipporah even knew the story. 40 years one day he's out in, he's so far out in the back country that it's it's beyond median territory it's now sort of out in the wild lands out and about it's no longer a place where people go he's in the back side of the mountain it's an interesting description of where he is. He's gone so far out, he's on the backside of the mountain. He's out there where he will eventually bring three million people back, but he's out in the backwoods of the backwoods in the back country. And if you've been in that part of the world, it's a dry, barren sort of a place. And there are a few places where you can get water, but out in this little backside of the mountain spot, there's a little bit of water. And he has his sheep and his goats out there. 40 years he's been following these animals, he's been following them so long he looks like him and he smells like him. The smell didn't take too long. But he looks like an 80 year old old goat by now. I understand. I look in the mirror. And as he's out there, Doing what he's been doing for 40 years, a bush catches on fire. It's probably happened before. He's probably seen spontaneous combustion out in the desert before. And a bush catches on fire. But the crazy thing is, this bush is not burning. It's just on fire. It's not burning up. It's just a light with flames. And so Moses decides, hey, I'm going to go see what's going on over there. Uh, the, the, The Bible's descriptions of these things, I'm always amused by the sort of nonchalant way the Bible says stuff. So Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why this bush does not burn. Really? I don't think so. I think you probably went, whoa. But it was hard to say that. So when he wrote the story, he wrote what he was thinking, not what he actually... Because I'm pretty sure he didn't say out there to one of the goats, Hey, I'm going to turn aside now and go see this bush that is on fire that does not burn. No. I'm pretty sure he just went, wow, and went over to see. But whichever story is true, we get to ask Moses later. I have an appointment. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look... Has God ever had to catch your attention? That's all that's happening here. God is putting on a little show, a little demonstration for Moses, so that Moses will pay attention. And Moses is now paying attention. Therefore, God has succeeded in what he was trying to do. Get his attention. Moses now says, Behold, I shall turn aside and see this bush that is burning, but does not burn. Behold. And off he goes over there to check out the bush. And God, now seeing that he's coming, calls out to him. You thought that Samuel sleeping at night was the first one to get the Samuel, Samuel. No, 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 no. Moses, Moses happened first. So he calls out to him, Moses, Moses, Moses. Moses says what Samuel took three tries at because Moses is eighty, Samuel's like eighteen you learn a lot between 18 and 80. (laughs) Enough to say, here I am, God, without having to be instructed. He simply says, here I am. A guy who's been hiding from his identity for 40 years gets called out by God and says, here I am. A guy and his wife who are hiding in the bushes because they're naked, gets called out by God in the garden, and they say, here we are. And Moses begins to have a conversation with the bush. But behind all of this conversation is a life. Because as the... As the folks in AA say, wherever you go, there you are. That may sound silly to you, but let it sink in for a minute. You carry your bags everywhere you go. Can I speak to those of you who are younger right now? Those of you who have not gotten the opportunity to do too many really stupid things yet. The more stupid you avoid, the less stupid you have to carry into tomorrow. I'm, it, it, it's really true. The more things you avoid getting yourself into, the fewer things you have to carry forward. The fewer images you have in your head. The fewer things that can, can, can cause you to wish no one ever spoke your name. Let alone God. Moses. Moses, it's me. You got me. Yeah, here I am. There's a whole story behind this here I am. Here I am. The little Jewish boy with such promise. Here I am. The child adopted by the princess. Here I am. The guy who was given all of the authority, all of the education, all the wealth and money and prestige and the Pharaoh's house could provide. Here I am. The guy who chose the Hebrews, the Jews, the slaves to to align himself with instead of Pharaoh, here I am. The guy who stepped into an altercation between a slave master and my fellow slave Hebrews and beat and strangled and killed him with my own hands. Here I am. The guy who fled Egypt into the backside of the mountain following goats. Here I am. And every time God speaks to you and every time God speaks to me, all of us comes to the conversation. I am so blessed recently by a song by Torrin Wells, and you don't need to know who that is unless you want to look it up. The song is called Known, or some places it's fully Known depending on how you, how they'll list it. But there's a line in the song that says it's hard truth and ridiculous grace to be fully known and loved by God. That's what's going on. God knows who he's talking to. God knows all about his history and all about yours and all about mine. And he calls to him from the bush. And Moses says, here I am. And can I encourage you? That when God calls on you, just to be who you are, because he knows. There's no need for a show. There's no need to try to hide yourself under some fig leaf skirt. He knows. So just own it. Look into your own burning bush and say, here I am. I bring to you all the blessings and all the curses, all the good days and all the bad days, all the good decisions and all the bad decisions. Here I am. God then begins to speak to him. He says to Moses, stop right where you are. Take off your shoes. The place where you are standing is holy. The first lesson for Moses is you need to understand who you're dealing with. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Taking off your shoes, this is holy ground. Understand who you're dealing with. You need to approach this with some awe and some amazement. I am not Pharaoh. You stood in the front of Pharaoh and your knees didn't shake. I am God. That's a whole different level of king. Take off your shoes. Take off your shoes, Moses. This is holy ground. And then he explains, I am the God of your father of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob. And Moses I just face. We're used to the biography of Moses in this triumphant guy who stands in the presence of God and speaks to him face to face. We skip over all of Moses' education here. We skip over what's going on. Moses learns to come to God in awe in this moment. And once he understands that he needs to come to God in awe, now he can come to God in face-to-face experience. It will take decades more before he's ready to stand comfortably in the presence of God. But it took this moment of humility to get him to his feet. Here I am. Take off your shoes. Okay. I am the God of your fathers. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh Uh-oh. And Moses hid his face. He was afraid to look upon God. We have this picture of Moses standing up there on the mountain. It's a great image. It's a great picture. He stands with God and God speaks to him. And one day Moses will say to God, Hey! Hey! This has been cool. I've loved hanging out with you up here on the mountain, but I'd like to see your face. This guy asks that question. This guy gets to that place because of the humility of taking off his shoes, knowing who he's dealing with, understanding the heart of God, understanding that God called him with all that he had tried to walk away from to this great momentous task. The Lord said, I have come to deliver my people. I love this. I love this because he says to Moses, I have come to deliver my people and you're the tool. That's how this is working. I'm going to deliver them, but you're the hammer. I'm going to drive some nails, your head. Moses is like, no, 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 not my gig. I'm not in for that. No, I don't want to do it. God says, hey, buddy, who made your mouth? I'm God. Let's get this back into its right relationship. Let's understand what we're dealing with. But I love the fact that God tells Moses, I am going to deliver my people. But then he tells him, you're the one going to talk to Pharaoh. <laughs> God calls you to do things and he says, I want to do some great things. And oh, by the way, it's going to be your mouth. Ah, <laughs> You know about all that I've done. You know about my past. You know what kind of guy is. And he said, yeah, I, I know. I know all of that. And I still want you. You know I'm going to blow it. You know I'm going to make a lot of mistakes, right? Yep. And I still want you. God is calling Moses to leadership because Moses has been humbled. Because the other guy was capable of murdering for God. And this guy doesn't even want us. All the brash confidence of the guy who lived in Pharaoh's home is gone. The education's still there. He can still speak the language. He can still walk into the court of Pharaoh like you and I walk into our home. He can still bridge a gap between Egypt and Judah. He can still be the person who could negotiate if Pharaoh would not harden his heart. He's still the right man for the job. And now he's qualified. Forty years following sheep and goats has made him ready. And 80 years of walking on this planet has made him ready. Moses says to God, okay, I get it, you've got this big task ahead of you, but who am I? Because when Moses looks in the mirror, he sees the guy who killed the servant of the Pharaoh, and the guy who spent the last four decades of his life in the menial task of finding water and food for sheep and God says I know what you think you are but I know who you are I didn't forget you when you went to Midian I guided you when you went to Midian I taught you when you were in Midian I blessed you when you were in Midian I formed you when you were in Midian you are still the child your mother looked at and said, this is a special baby. You are still the young man in whom your mother implanted all of the culture of the Hebrews that she could. You are still the young man who learned in the seat of Pharaoh. And I remember all of it. And yes, I remember your mistakes. But you have found grace in my eyes. You know, we look at the story of the Exodus as a story about Hebrews exiting from Egypt. But it is just as much a biography of a man growing into the task God has called him to none of us are without a calling. No matter our age, no matter our background, no matter our position, all of us have a calling. It's different for everyone. There are one-talent people, there are five-talent people, and there are ten-talent people, but they all have the calling in common. And the calling is simply put what you have into the service of God and see where he takes you. So Moses will see himself differently now because Moses sees himself as his talent has been humbly handed over to God. Let me ask you, are you living on your talent? Some of you are, are ten talent people. I've met you. I know you. I know there's some ten talent folks in here. Are you living on your talent? Are you living on the reputation of being a special baby? Everybody looked at you when you were a little guy and said, this is a special baby. Look, he's so beautiful. Look, she's so beautiful. Are you living on that? Have you been banking on that your whole life? Have you been banking on your skill set your whole life and never handed the thing over to God to see what he wanted to do with it? Are you in a position now where you have found your way into that? You've, you've earned it. You've delivered it to yourself. You've done it. You can track your steps every step of the way and you know you are where you are today because you did it. Or are you recognizing that You're only there because of God's skills in your life. Are you in a place where you need to turn the blessings over to God and see what He wants to do? (laughs) Moses, 20 years into this leadership experience with God, will stand on top, it's not even that long, it's a couple of years in, will stand on top of the mountain and instead of hiding his face from God, beg to see God's face. And it will be such an intense and beautiful moment that Moses will come down from the mountain literally glowing like a light. Crazy stuff is happening to this guy! Same guy! But at that bush, Moses had to decide whether he was going to walk away from hiding. Walk away from pretending he wasn't. Walk away from the things he had decided to be in Midian. Was he going to come out of the Midian closet and show himself and be in God's hand or not? Was he going to walk away from all of that security that he had found hiding on the backside of the mountain? Or was he going to stay there? Because this decision is a decision to leave things behind as well as take new things on. If you're about to hand God what you believe are the talents He's given you, it is a decision to leave some things behind. And don't tell me, I'm 70 years old, I have nothing to offer God. How old is He? 80. The Bible says he dies at 120 years old. And all of his vigor was still going strong. He was still perfectly able to do anything he had been doing before. If God has a job for you, he will give you the authority and power to do it. Hand over the talent, even if you're pushing 80, even if you say, I'm too old for this. Even if you say, I'm too young for this, see what he does. This guy who's standing at the bush this day, doesn't even want to get involved, will be up on a mountain with God in a few years saying, Take my life for theirs. I would rather you let me die than have them die. Here, he's afraid that if he goes back, Pharaoh will finish the job. That he'll actually be killed because the responsibility of his past decision will catch up with him. On the mountain, he says, I will take responsibility for these people. Let me die instead of them. Why pick Moses when we're talking about living like Jesus? Because when your gifts and your God are united, when you humbled yourself and taken your shoes off and stood in front of God and said, do what you wish, I'll go where you want, you lead like this guy. And you lead like Jesus. Who had every right to claim the throne of heaven. And humbled himself. And became a man. And lived like a bond servant. Taking our role. And assuming responsibility for our sins. And giving himself. So that we might escape the mess we're in. All of us lead something friends, family, our children, our grandchildren, our home, our work, our staff. All of us lead something. If we lead humbly, If we lead self-sacrificingly, and if we hand the whole thing over to God, we lead like Moses, we lead like Jesus. In a world that seems to be falling apart, seems to me a good choice. Let's pray. Father God.